0: Our leader will now share for 20 to 25 minutes describing what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now. Our leader for tonight is Forrest. Good. Hi, I'm Forrest, compulsive eater. Hi, Forrest. I guess I should, I shouldn't, but I, I don't know if I should or shouldn't, but I'll qualify. I mean, I know this is a 100-pounder meeting, and I'm not, you know, somebody who came into OA and lost 100 pounds, but I have as an adult, there's been about 120 twenty pound. Swing in my weight, you know, my low was probably about 135 and my high at one at 255 So I've been a lot of different sizes before program and a little bit after but and I'm just generally gonna do um, What it was like what happened and what it's like now But there's gonna be more what it was like because I was a compulsive eater for 50 years before I came into the room So there's a lot of that stuff but um you know, going back, I was born, you know, a big kid, shocking, and um, I was also born with a birth defect that I mean it wasn't all that major, but it involved some weird procedures and you know, and um, you know, a p- pretty significant surgery. And I mean, it was all successful as far as that goes. My body does what it needs to do. But from a very early age, you know, I felt like, you know, my body was broken and I was somehow broken. And I also know that, like, age two and a half, three, I was a compulsive sugar eater. And I have very clear memories of what that breakfast looked like and, you know, what that did for me. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, that's what I did. And I was also thinking about, you know, I've been asked, you know, pick a topic. And I think one of the things that I kind of, you know, a character defect that I have is, you know, I want to know why everything happens. And, you know, and and it's very clear, you know, one of the first things that gets read is, you know, the, you know, we're compulsive eaters, the reasons are unimportant. And that's really true. And, but I still, my brain wants to, why, why, why? And so I'm going to try to interject some of that. And I also, um, you know, program can be tricky for me. I'm... You know, an agnostic slash atheist, and I grew up in a fundamental Christian um, evangelical household, where um, you know God was, God punished you, and you feared God, and it was very black and white. You know, and why did this happen? Because God wanted it to happen, and why am I like this? And I, I really thought for a long time that, you know, I was born with the birth defect and other things happened because God was punishing me because I was bad in some way. And I truly actually believed that. And, you know, the relief for me was, you know, eating sugar and eating whatever. And that was really, you know, my coping mechanism. And I would eat or drink sugar until I passed out and I would black out. And... Um, that was my way of coping for a really long time, and then when I was in my early teens, I got sick in a different way, and they put me on this medication that made me not want to eat at all, and so I didn't eat, and I had a growth spurt, and then for the first time in my life, I became, you know, sort of a normal weight, and um, and I also switched to this. Um, you know, kind of a control thing. It's like people, you know, it, it, I don't know how to describe it, but people would say, oh, you should eat. And I'd be like, no, I'm not going to eat, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And um, it became a little bit of a weird thing. I would eat sugar and drink sugar and sometimes eat normally. But in general, you know, I just didn't eat for 10 years. And, um, you know, in program, you you come in and a lot of addictions, they have these stories about what you lost and for me, it isn't so much about what I lost. It's what, it's about what I never had and what I never really ma- managed to experience because I was too busy, you know, being, you know, an addict and not realizing that I was an addict. And so, you know, I did, didn't develop a lot of, um, you know, relationships, and I was a poor student, and, you know, I do really well on standardized tests. And some people think, you know, I'm a smart person, but... It never did anything for me. I was a really shitty student, you know, and got through college, but barely, and, um, you know, while I was eating, and um, not a lot of fun there. (laughs) Um, And I also, you know, grew up, you know, in the middle of nowhere in North rural Ohio as a gay boy, knowing I was gay and wishing I wasn't, and sure that God was punishing me in some way for that. And I spent, you know, a decade of my life not eating and, um, or just eating, you know, I would drink sugar or I would eat occasionally, but having really lousy food habits that looked, kind of looked normal to the rest of the world but wasn't normal, and trying to figure out, you know, and figuring out, now, why am I gay and why am I the way that I am? Because I figured if I could figure that out, then I could change it somehow. And it doesn't really work that way so much, um, I found out. And, you know, after I had been, you know, doing that for about a decade, I was living in New York, and I was, um, at that point, you know, this height, and, you know, I'm a I have, I'm pretty, fairly big bone guy, 130 pounds, which, and my blood sugar was so nasty that I, I was passing out on subway platforms. F- and um you know, briefly, and then I would bounce up, and I could always talk my way out of it it's like I'm not good, you know I don't need to go to the hospital i'm fine i I'm, I'm just tired, and I would you know talk my way out of it, and I um you know could get jobs, but I couldn't keep them because I couldn't get there, or I would you know get angry and say something I shouldn't say, you know there's a very you know powerful um you know um defiant like child inside of me which is useful sometimes and sometimes not but anyway so when I was in living in New York in my mid-20s and I was I had um early 20s and I had some mental health issues and I really in the whole time I really hated myself and you know and some days I still hate myself but I don't hate myself every day all the time anymore and that's because of program but I'll get there We'll, we'll get there I'm trying to do chronological See, I, I, perfection is another one of my problems. You'll you'll see that. So um, if you haven't noticed it already. But um, I, um, you know, so after, you know, I was having a lot of mental health issues, and some of it was related to the fact that my blood sugar was ne- was usually about 40 or 45, you know, and a lot of people are comatose when it's 40 or 45, but not me. And so after about, you know, after the third suicide attempt, they wanted to put me in the hospital. And of course, no, I mean, I'm sure nobody knew about it because I did it all privately because I do everything privately and um, hid from the world. And they said, we're going to put you in the hospital because you're just so underweight. And this 10 year old inside of me said, no, fuck you. I'm not going to the hospital. And so I started eating and I gained 40 pounds in six weeks. And they're, and they're like, oh, great, awesome, you're fixed. You're And I'm like, I was a normal weight, you know, and so the rest of the world, I look normal, but I was a I was a disaster. And so then what happened for 20 years, I became, I mean, I didn't really know what, I, mean, I had to come into program to realize how off what I was doing. You know, somebody described it as you're bulimic, and I'm like, oh, no, I never threw up, so I can't be bulimic, but I would... Um, you know binge on sugar, pass out, and I was obsessed with the number on the scale and I would weigh myself four times a day. You know, I would go to the gym and weigh myself before I got before I worked out. I would weigh myself in the middle, after I would sit in the sh- in the sauna and then weigh myself again, you know, and then before I went to bed and it was just ridiculous. And that's how and I man I would manage to that number. And so I would binge and then exercise and exercise and exercise and maybe and skip a few meals in there until I got to a number on the scale and then I would binge again and that was kind of the cycle but I did all of that privately so people that at least my my fantasy is that nobody knew I had this issue because I would I mean if if I went out socially I would eat normally and then I would go home and do something ridiculous or if I, there was no social event for that day. I might not eat that whole day, or I would find or if it was not a day when I was eating, I would say, "I'm not sick. I'm sick and I wouldn't go to dinner with somebody, or I wouldn't you know, have, or I would go for a lock, walk for lunch instead of eating. And that whole period, every day, at three o'clock, I went to the vending machine, and it gave me a headache every day. And I did that for 20 years. And every day I'm like, I'm not going to do this again. And I could, um, throughout all those years, you know, and I I was also kind of a compulsive exerciser a little bit too. I mean, at the gym I would do certain things. I would do a lot of, um, you know, of, um, you know, cardio. I never really was, you know, well, I don't know. Anyway, we can talk about that. At one point, I did, through that whole period, I did, so that's 10. Mm-hmm. I um, somehow, I got to the point where my body was actually, you know, I got ripped. I was, you know, in good shape, and I was living in New York and working at a, and working out at a gym where um, there were fitness models and... You know, and not that it was a fancy gym or anything, but, you know, that, that was what... I, those are the people that I was working out with. And they, made, and they made comments. It's like, wow, you look really good. And, I mean, they weren't hitting on me. I mean, I, some people laugh when I say that, but I think that that's actually true because these are straight guys that are married, and they were just, like, totally into fitness. And they're like, oh, you're fit. And so it was like a science project. I wasn't, you know, some object of affection. And, but I was dead inside. I mean, and I still, I mean, I could still look in the mirror and, you know, and be like, no, there's a problem. You're not, you know, I could pinch something over here. And I don't, I'm old, but there used to be a commercial that was like, if you can pinch an inch, you know, you're, and I'm like, you can always pinch an inch, trust me. <laughs> you know, at, at 135 pounds, I could pinch an inch, you know, so clearly I was fat. But, um, or thought I was. And um, then um, I moved out. I did a geographic, you know, and moved out here. And um, through that whole period, I knew, I mean, I always knew that sugar was an issue. And I could get off for about 90 days on my own at one point. And then somebody would piss me off and I would eat a donut and then I was done. And and I, you know, I knew enough about nutrition and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, intellectually, I know about all those things, but I just couldn't make it happen. You know, I just couldn't. And I moved out here as a geographic to get away from myself, but, you know, I brought myself with me. And, um, you know, some things, you know, and I, and for about four or five months when I moved out here, initially, I was... You know, I had my food together and I got a job and I settled in. And as soon as I got the job, I started eating sugar again. And my life went to shit in like a hurry, you know, because my moods changed and I wasn't functioning and it was just, it was just bad. And then I couldn't keep up with the bulimia at a certain point And I just started eating and, you know, the number on the scale kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, then about four and a half years ago, I mean, my, my sister, who's 13 months younger than I am and who I'm probably the closest to, um, is, um, you know, is killing herself with this disease. And she was having a bunch of you know, a bunch of health issues and I was seeing what I was going to look like in there, there. And I went to buy pants at Ross Dress for Less and couldn't fit in the largest size they had. And that the defiant child in me came out and was like, no, you are not going to go to big and tall stores. You're just not. You know? So you know, you're going to do something about it. And so I came into the rooms because at that point I had done everything else that I could think of. And um, I, so I came into the rooms about a little over four years ago and um, came into the rooms. I'm like, who are all these weird people? <laughs> And what the hell is this? But I, kn- but I knew I belonged, but I didn't want to belong. I really didn't want to be there, but I knew I needed to be there. And so I started out going to just one meeting a week, and then it was two, and then it was three, and then there was a week when I missed. Um, I didn't go for a whole week, and I missed it. And that's when I kind of knew, OK, there's something. And, and it, I knew it was affecting me. And I didn't really even try to get abstinent initially, because I didn't think it would work. And then I picked my first abstinence was, well, I'll just eat sugar one day a week. And it's always, for me, it's clear that sugar's the issue. Now, you know, if I was, if an alcoholic told me, you know, I know I'm an alcoholic and I'm just gonna drink beer on Saturdays, you know, it's like, really? But that's what my disease did to me. Now, of course, that didn't work so well. And um, after about three months of that, I, um You know, I had a major binge and I was very aware of what I was doing at that point. You know, I drove to the store that has my favorite binge food and I was very aware that I was eating it and I wasn't enjoying it, but I was, I kind of enjoyed it, but I wasn't enjoying it. And I ate myself into a coma and then came out of the coma and realized, oh, there's a meeting I should go to. And I got in the car in this hangover to drive to the meeting and I drove through a stop sign in front of a school and got pulled over by two lovely cops and they're looking in the car and they're like, go, what's going on, I'm, sh-, you know? And I got a ticket and got to go to traffic school, you know, and, and, but I, and that was kind of the moment when I realized, okay, this is, that's kind of when I took the first step and really accepted that, you know, I couldn't do that first bite. And that's my <coughs> abstinence state for sugar. And my abstinence is, you know, is three meals a day. I have the option of two snacks which now i don't always have sometimes i do sometimes i don't and for me i have to eat within an hour of getting up in the morning and i have to eat pro- i have to eat good protein for the morning and that's those that's my abstinence and other than that you know and no sugar and like really i'm like i eat a condiment that has sugar in it but it doesn't trigger me somehow but, and so that's what that's been like for three years. And um, it's kind of, you know, this program has, and then I I came in thinking, I'll get off the sugar. And I also came in thinking, well, you know, there's 12 steps, there's 12 months. You know, I'll come in, I'll do a step a month, <laughs> and they'll fix me, and I'll be gone, and I'm done. And here I am. And very happy to be here, you know, four, four plus years later, and, um, knowing that it is a you know, kind of a lifelong journey. And every time I, you know, and there's always more to do and more to grow. And I really thought it was going to all be all about the weight and the, the diet. And program has been so much more for me, which is really been exceptionally surprising for me. Um, like two years ago, at age 55, you know, I started training, you know, I bought a bike and started training because I thought it would be cool to go on a bike tour. And so I took myself on a bike tour and I rode 330 miles in seven days, which, you know, the perfection in me is like, and perfectionist in me is like, well, you should have ridden that in three days, not seven, you know, and all this shit that my brain does. But, But, you know, for somebody who thought my body was completely broken and wouldn't do something like that and also just... When, I was, when, when I'm in the sugar, you know, there's no way that I could have, first of all, physically been able to do that consistently because of the ups and downs and all that. But just being able to be serene enough in my head to be able to plan that and have the courage and not hate myself enough to be able to, to plan it and make it happen and do it was, I mean, that's, that's because I was in program. And that was like one of the best experiences of my life. I mean, I'll take it. I mean, I'm always going to take that. And it's also, um, you know, family stuff is interesting, too, I, um, in ways that I wouldn't have expected. You know, I uh, and this is something that just sort of happened this week, so I'll talk about it. But, um, you know, I also have an older brother who um, became a Mormon on purpose, and you know, and he is all into that, and he has eight kids, and they go on missions, and I get to hear about all this stuff and it 's very obvious that you know the the whole Mormon lifestyle does not acknowledge you know who I am and what I am, and doesn 't really think that I should exist in the world at least that 's my perception of it all it 's probably wrong, but it um you know it feels very you know excl- you know it feels very much like you know that choice and this is again where the you know the whole religion stuff and the god stuff and I should go back to saying you know the god stuff bothers me in program but I'm a, there's enough higher power and spirituality in the program that I can find without being just religious and um that's kept me in the rooms and it's it can be a challenge and it's, it's a some of it's a bit like exposure therapy, I guess. You know, you hear it enough. It, and, you know, I've rewritten all the all the prayers. I've rewritten myself. It's, I mean, to this it has the same, you know, the same meaning. It's just different words. And I find that really helpful because even, like, the God word can get in my way. And I wish there was a different word for prayer. But um, because praying means something very specific to me. But. That being said, I'm still in program and program works just as well for me as it does for anyone else who doesn't have those issues. And I'm also, you know, still a um the other thing about me, you know, I am a um you know, I'm a um socially awkward introvert with an anxiety disorder and, you know, Seasonal adjusted order and stuff, disorder and stuff like that. But I can manage to come, I still get to at least three meetings a week. I can get to the meetings and I can talk in a meeting. You know, the one on one can be a little tricky still, um, which I think surprises people because I've had people come up and, t- anyway, it, it can, I'm st- socially awkward. I'm always going to be socially awkward. It's a lot different than it was, but it's still there. But, and then back to the family shit. <laughs> Took a little side trip, sorry. <laughs> and um, is, you know, and my brother's older, and, you know, there was a period, when I came into program, I was, you know, I had, you know, lost my job, and I had lost my house to a short sale, and I was living illegally on a boat under the threat. So I, I was effectively homeless, because, I mean, if the marina had wanted to be, wanted to, they could have evicted me at any time. and I, And if they had done that, I mean, I would have... I mean, my option was moving back to Ohio and living with my mother, you know. So it, for a long time there, it was, a little, it was a little touch and go. And while I was doing that, my brother was living, you know, in his 5,000-foot, you know, square-foot house in Utah that they built, you know, and driving the three cars and doing all of that. And there was absolutely no support from him. Um, this week on, you know, not that he has money, but he has all of that. Um, last week, I guess, on Tuesday, I get a phone call, a panicked phone call from him because he wants to borrow money from me, and I'm like, okay, now before program, I would have been like, fuck you, and just got off the phone and hung up and been mad, and resentful and spun and it's like and the world is so unfair and what the fuck you know and then complained and I still kind of complained about it but you know I didn't spin out of it but because of program and because of the tools that I have I was like I was a little taken aback but I was able to say to him well if I was in your position you know it's kind of talk him through like so okay so this is happening what about this what about that and I was able to give him some ideas So he was able to solve his own problem. I didn't have to give him money, but because I don't have it to give, I mean, I I could get it and give it to him, but that wouldn't be a good solution. And um, so I gave him some ideas, and he was able to to solve his own problem. And he and I have never really gotten along, but after he did that, he, you know, last weekend he he called me to tell me that, oh yeah, I went to the bank, I did this, this and I did what you said, and they fixed it, and, and we're good to go, and we're safe, and you know, before he hung up the phone, he said, I love you. And I never, ever in my life thought that that was going to happen, and I didn't start in program, and I don't do things to make that happen, it's just the way that I, I can work my program through the world and just being able to be present and showing up you know and not like hanging up the phone and then going eating myself into a coma and then you know not eating for two days and being all wet you know and not dealing with the world you know I was able to you know the concept of being in you know in program the concept of taking the next right action and of being in service and you know accepting (laughs) who he is and who I am and being grateful for what I have, you know, if I can keep those things together, then the world is such a different place for me, you know, I mean, it really, in ways that I can't actually describe, you know, that at the end you read, you know, beyond my wildest dreams, and I was like, I suppose it is beyond my wildest dreams because I couldn't imagine some of the stuff that's happening. That doesn't mean that by any means my life is perfect and I don't want other things and I don't have difficulties because god knows that's there but you know the in my what i hold on to and what i can when i can keep it in my head another thing too when i work on it is and it's i'm going to steal what somebody else well no i'm not i'm not going <laughs> to a lot of the stuff that I talk about, that I that is in my head, you know, that helps me is things that I've heard other people share in meetings, and it really does stay with me in ways that I wouldn't have expected. But oh god, and I just lost it. But I oh no, I didn't. I um I know that the degree that the disease is progressive because I experienced the progression of the disease over 50 years and how it changed and how it really got worse and worse to the point where I couldn't even white knuckle it. But I believe that recovery is progressive too. And that it's not a matter of getting through the steps and getting to a point and being done. I think that there's always something more to do and you can always get better and better and better. And that's really kind of keeps me in the rooms and keeps me Somewhat grounded in program, and um, that was the final bell. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> okay. Well. Well. Thank you. <laughs>